0: Bienvenidos and welcome to the next installment of Lead Media Programming from Studio 54 campus of California State University San Bernardino, the digital media platform for inspired educators, leaders, and community activists and advocates taking our message directly to the people, to the gente. Thank you for sharing our common interest in the analysis, discussion, critique, dissemination, and commitment to the educational issues that impact Latinos. I'm your host, Dr. Enrique Murillo Jr., and this episode is a syndicated replay from season 10 of Lead Summit 2019. The theme that year was Su voto es su voz, everyone counts. Here's a little behind the scenes trivia The lead planners, together with the padrinos, madrinas, speakers, panelists, and so forth, in any given year, we all get together back at the conference hotel the evening of the Lead Summit for a debriefing and hospitality event. As we celebrate another successful event and year, we actually choose the theme for what would become the next year's summit. In that particular year, we were facing a very important and historic election cycle, but also continuously frustrated with the decennial census projections that has always historically underestimated the Latino population growth. This capstone presentation is entitled civic courage, and social action in the American democratic process toward a new Latino citizenry. Education is an economic imperative and the civil rights issue of our generation. It's a right, not a privilege. For the U.S. to create a positive future, it will require a Latino citizenry that is more greatly participatory in the American democratic process and that is poised to shape the U.S. political landscape through voting and civic engagement. Continue and enjoy the full value and complexity of this episode. We extend our appreciation to all our lead sponsors and partners, planners, volunteers, speakers, and panelists. Of course, the production team, the affiliates, and all our town hall chapters. We commend them for lifting their voice and for uplifting the plight of Latinos in education. Thank you, gracias, Clauso camate. It's been a long day, but well worth it. Okay, this is our capstone event. It's the capstone. The thing that you put at the top, boom, to finish the day. It's my great honor to be up here with this very distinguished uh, group of panelists. I'm gonna turn this over to the capable hands of Deborah Grijalva, who is a doctoral candidate, cohort 11, in our educational leadership program here at Cal State University, San Bernardino. So, Deborah, all yours.
1: Thank you, Dr. Murillo. Over the past decades, Latinos have emerged as the largest minority in the nation, with majority populations in many states and regions, and in some cases, the majority demographic among school-aged children. In many ways, this is our moment as a major cultural influence on art, music, food, and so forth. Our workers, too, are the backbone of many sectors of the interwining local, regional, state, national, and global economies. Yet the strength of our schools and communities, basically our place in the world, is impossible to evaluate without focusing on the educational outcomes of Latino students. Latinos continue to have some of the highest dropout, push-out rates, score among the lowest on achievement tests, and have low college enrollment and graduation rates. Both Latino students and teachers have a high mobility rate, are located in racially segregated communities with high poverty rates, and attend school with fewer resources, staff, and programs. Education is of economic imperative the civil rights issue of our generation, is it's a right, not a privilege. For the US to create a positive future, it will require a Latino citizenry that more greatly participates in the American democratic process and that is poised to shape the US political landscape through voting and civic engagement. By 2020, 32 million Latinos, for the first time, will be eligible to vote the largest racial or ethnic group eligible to vote in, the, in a presidential election. Immigration is playing a role, albeit a small one. One in 10 eligible voters will be foreign-born in 2020, the highest share since 1970. But the share eligible to vote does not necessarily transfer to voter turnouts. The number of Latinos who don't vote, in fact, has been greater than the number who do in every presidential election since 1996. Latinos have also been frustrated with the decennial census projections that hysterically underestimate Latino population growth. The Census Bureau is is the primary source of economic and demographic data of the United States. The push to be accurately counted, has always been high stakes because the size of ethnic minority populations directly affects the ability to allocate funding for public services and to influence the way congressional and other voting districts are drawn. This capstone presentation will be offered by leaders of various Latino civil rights organizations. The fight for civil rights doesn't happen in a vacuum. And in most cases, have fueled and have been fueled by other social justice movements. As we represent a significant portion of this country's future strength, we must achieve a dramatic and powerful change in our communities, one that necessitates civic courage, social action, public service, and creation of leadership opportunities. It is my honor to introduce our panel for today. Lydia Camareo, Lizette Escobedo Domingo Garcia. Please join me in welcoming them.
2: <laughs> Buenas tardes. Les voy a pedir lo que les pedí antes, con mas ganas. Buenas tardes. Gracias. This election cycle for 2020, and we need to begin thinking about it today, yesterday, not in 2020, is probably one of the most important election cycles because it also corresponds not only with an election of our lifetime because at the federal level, the Latino community is under attack, but it also corresponds with the census count. It is important that as we organize and we work together to increase the number of voters, as it was clearly stated, we're expecting that 18 million of those eligible to vote will be registered to vote by 2020. Is that a figure that's enough for us to have the kind of competitive turnout in states like Arizona, who is now moving from a red state to a purple state? in Florida that will continue to be a competitive state, and in Texas, while a very, very deep red state, could be another California state in this cycle. So we have to work at registering voters, and we have to work at turning out voters, and we expect that despite what people say and reporters think, the Latino electorate has grown every four years by two million more registered voters and one million more votes cast. The question for us as a community is can we get to three million or more registered and 1.5 to two more million votes cast compared to the last presidential cycle? That's our challenge and that's a challenge that I bring to you. As president of Southwest Voter Registration Education Project and with leaders and other partners like LULAC and other groups around the country, we commit to working to make sure that it is going to be three more million registered Latino voters, or 19 million registered Latino voters. Now, people will argue and say there's 27, there's 29, there's 30 million, there's 32 million eligible to vote because 800,000 young men and women in America turn 18 that are U.S. citizens that we might register to vote. But in states like Texas and Florida and Arizona, we are still fighting barriers, systematic barriers that prohibit most of us from registering to vote, so we must make sure that particularly in those states, we work to abolish those barriers and working around those barriers. And because it is going to be a census year, we have to start telling our people now, not only the lawsuit that we have, we're one of the many groups and counties and cities that are uh, filed a lawsuit against the Census Bureau to drop A citizenship question, but we have to work with our communities and our city councils and mayors and supervisors or county commissioners, depending on what state you are, to make sure that people count themselves, count their communities, count their households, but that they're not afraid to do so. California stands to lose four congressional seats. Texas can lose four to eight congressional seats. California is supposed to gain maybe one seat if we, all, if we count everybody. Texas is supposed to gain another four seats. It gained four the last time, it will gain another four. And it was a result of the Latino electorate and the minority communities, the black community and other communities. But if we don't have a full count, we will lose everyone. So as we're thinking about how do we organize, we have to do it at the local level first. There are local elections. We have to make sure that everybody is registered to vote. We also have to make sure that in two years and maybe four, how many of those folks that need to be naturalized can be naturalized in time? In 2012, we asked the administration that had just won, or rather in 2008, I must say, the administration that just won at the federal level, if you invest X dollars to naturalize citizens, we can make sure that Texas will have 2 to, 2.5 to 5 million eligible voters that can convert Texas. We missed the vote, vote then, we missed the opportunity then, will we miss it today? We also have to think about the policies. It isn't enough to talk about the voter registration, the mobilization, the census and redistricting, which will be in 2011. But we have to speak about the policies, the messaging to the voters. Everybody talks about how every, the, every election we have to have one or two issues that are important. Well, let's be clear, for Latinos, it's always jobs and education, jobs and education. And immigration is our litmus test. Latinos are citizens who can vote. They vote. But immigration question and how the candidate responds to our community, whether they want to welcome us or send us back to I don't know where, that's part of the messaging. And if candidates who want to earn our vote do not invest in our community to turn out to vote, or candidates who are Latino who think they will have the Latino vote just because they're Latino, they're sadly mistaken. And we have seen already many, many very, very qualified candidates over our history who have not invested in expanding the electorate first and then mobilizing it, but with a purpose. Latinos want to know, how is my family going to be better, do better? How is my community going to be doing better? They told us we had five minutes, so I was just checking. So, we have to think about the policy issues. We have to think about the messaging, and we have to invest. And let me tell you something: when Willie Velasquez started regist- registering voters, every other door someone needed to be registered to vote. Now it's every fifteen to twenty door, depending on what community you're working in. If you're in a very immigrant community, it can be as many as forty doors. That means we have to work harder to find a new voter. It also means that despite what the national politics says or the national pundits, that we don't care, that is wrong. I'm constantly being asked, do Latinos not cast a vote because they don't care or because they don't understand the process? Quite the contrary, Latinos very much care and they do understand the process. And sometimes, just like I can be very cynical about the process, they still understand very clearly that with a vote it's our ticket to respect and dignity. And if we remind people that besides employment and jobs and education and uh, immigration is the litmus test, that our vote is in fact our ticket to respect and dignity, then more people will cast their vote. Prop 187 is a perfect example. We knew very clearly that we were going to lose. We did not have enough Mexican registered voters in California, and there wasn't enough of us anyways at the time. Today, California enjoys the largest number of Latino registered voters, over 4.1 million registered Latino voters. And you are voting at a high rate despite what people say. Yes, there are certain elections that we vote less, like local elections, but that's clear across the country and clear across groups. White groups, black groups, Asians, others, Latinos as well. We vote at a significant number. In a presidential level, we are voting at about 80% of those that are registered to vote. However, we get counted by all that are eligible to vote. And if you're not registered, you can't vote, period. In a a midterm election, we're voting at about 50%, unless you are from a red state like Texas, which is at 37%. In a local election, you might find here in the city of Los Angeles that 27 to 32% will cast a vote, but in Texas, three to six percentage points will cast a vote. It's based on participation, it's based on resources, and it's based on a number of things. But we are voting. We will vote. But we will do it. Why? Because we expect to be treated with dignity, and we will not be told by anyone, local, state, or federal level. No single person is going to tell us que no pertenemos en esta ciudad, o este, este país. We're here to stay, we're not moving, and we're going to build this country even better with our leaders.
3: Gracias. Hello, my name is Domingo Garcia, and I'm the uh, National President of LULAC. And I just noticed that it's about three o'clock. And it used to be, that was back in the ni- er, 1800s, that was siesta time, <laughs> okay? So no quiero que se me duermen, okay? Because <laughs> political siesta time is over, okay? Camarón que se duerme, se lo lleva? La corriente. La corriente. <laughs> ya es tiempo que no se leva la corriente, porque ahorita hay un cucuy. Anybody ever heard of the cuckoo? Ese cuckoo, ahorita, en 2019, tiene cabello naranjado, feo, panzón, y vive en una casa blanca. Okay? And that cuckoo is who we need to be fighting against. Because that Kukui is a Kukui that Lulak has been fighting since 1929 when we were founded. And think about 1929. I'm just going to give you a little. Brief history. In 1929, if five Mexican-American males got together in Texas, it was against the law. It was sedition. And you could be lynched for getting together. And the Latinos, those Mexican-American males who formed LULAC had to go to Ajacal. Ajacal is a hut to organize, to stop the discrimination and the racism against the raza in Texas. And when we're talking about that, we're talking about segregated schools. We're talking about signs that said, no Mexicans, no niggers, no dogs allowed at hotels and restaurants across the Southwest. And they got up and fought. Because I'm going to talk to you about civic courage. Now, what is civic courage? Civic courage is estamos valientes, los que coraje, los que no tienen miedo, los que no se arrajan. Okay? And those are the people that have traditionally led the fights. But people will say, Domingo. You no soy Cuatomac. Si me queman los pies, yo los voy a decir tal You know, soy Pancho Villa. I'm not going to be attacking Columbus, New Mexico, and going up against the U.S. Army. You know, soy Emiliano Zapata. Es mejor vivir de pie que morir de pie que vivir de rodilla. Better die on your feet than to live on your knees. You know, soy Cesar Chavez. I'm not going to march from Delano to Sacramento. I'm not Rosie Castro. I'm not going to take on the establishment in San Antonio. But let me tell you, they are heroes every day. And we need those heroes every day to fight against the oppression. Because we've seen the voter suppression efforts. They're trying to rig the system. Los tienen miedo. They're afraid of what's happening in California, New Mexico, Texas, and across the country. I'm gonna give you a little story. Uh, how many ever heard of Dodge City, Kansas? You ever heard of Dodge, get out of Dodge? Yeah. Okay, well, in November of 2018, uh, the the Secretary of State of Kansas, a guy named Chris Koch, he he led Trump's Voter Fraud Commission, National Voter Fraud Commission, was running for governor of Kansas. And Dodge City is now 63% Latino. And what they did was they took the only polling place in a town of 33,000 people and moved it 20 miles outside the city limits. Okay? Now, literally, if you were a Latino voter in Dodge City, Kansas, you had to get out of Dodge to go vote, okay? (laughs) And we got the call. We have a LULA council there in Dodge City. And then we said, okay, we're going to file a lawsuit. Everybody was afraid. This is where I talk about civic courage. Well, you know, I work at the meatpacking plant. I work at the local grocery store. And if my boss or my patron finds out that I'm filing the lawsuit, they're going to fire me. But there was a young man. His name was Alejandro Lopez. He was a high school senior at Dodge City High School. He called us. He said, I'll stand up. We filed a lawsuit, and we weren't able to get the lawsuit approved three days before the election, so we Ubered the voters to the polls. We rented three minivans, and we took voters to the polls. And to make a long story short, for the first time in the history of Kansas in 30 years, the Democratic women governor got elected with Latino votes in Kansas, okay? And Alejandro was on the Rachel Meadows Show, and he was on a lot of national networks, and we recognized him in Washington because He was not afraid, no tuvo miedo, okay? In Texas, last, uh, what, two months ago, Lydia, the Secretary of State said there were 98,000 illegal voters voting in Texas. Well, of course, we said, puro Pedro. there are no 98,000, you know, illegal voters voting in Texas, and we filed a lawsuit. And we had people that stood up and said, hey, I'm a naturalized citizen, and they can't take me off the rolls just because I'm naturalized. The 98,000 people that were targeting were naturalized citizens. Now think about it, if you got a letter in the mail that says you might be committing voter fraud if you voted, and it's two to 20 years in prison and a third degree felony if you do this, are you sure you're a US citizen? Are you sure you wanna vote? And we took on the lawsuit and we won. And now they're, we're gonna announce probably in the next 24 hours that the Secretary of State has backed down and that every one of those letters is coming back and those voters stay on the rolls but what we're seeing is a continuous effort to suppress our vote and it's going to take us standing up and fighting at all levels and this is what I'm going to say it's going to take it's talking about political economic and cultural empowerment it's being not being afraid to take on the establishment and saying no mas que ya basta and that takes a lot of courage necesitamos valientes necesitamos gente que es fuerte and it's not easy sometimes to do that uh, you know Rosie when you heard her talk about Texas I was there as a Razunida, uh, 19-year-old trying to run a primary and having to read the election code. It's not easy. It's not easy when you're a metro organizer and people are, are looking at uh, arresting you because you had a protest on campus. It's not easy uh, last year when we were at the border uh, and we were trying to release babies from a baby jail in McAllen, Texas, and we were able to get them released out. Those things are not easy, but you've got to have people that will stand up and fight. So I want to tell you right now. the the current system, the Electoral College system, is rigged against California. Somebody said earlier today that you know, California, LA County has more people than 43 states. That's correct, but you still only got two senators. And in the Electoral College, the reason Trump got elected was because those rural areas that were made to protect slaveholding states have a disproportionate number of votes in the national election. And therefore, we need to change the Electoral College. They are right when they talk about that. They are right when we talk about having to empower our communities by running Latinos at all office. So I challenge everybody here, run for office. And I'll give you one little example. I got an email from a 27-year-old young lady in New York City that she was gonna run for Congress. And uh, she just needed my help. Uh, And could I just send some money? So I don't know who she was. She was a Latina. She was running in New York. I sent her $1,000. Her name is Alejandra Ocasio-Cortez. And she got elected to Congress at 28. You. Tell you another story. I have an office in Houston, Texas. Another Latina came to my office. Her name is Lina Hidalgo. She was 27, but she had already graduated from Columbia and, I believe, uh, uh, Yale. And she said she was running for county judge. And in Texas, county judge is like the, you have county supervisors here in California, like the head county supervisor. Uh, and Houston has also the, over four million people. And nobody believed she could win. And the Republicans had controlled Houston for decades. And I said, if you have a dream, i help you. And she became the first Latina County Judge in Harris County at 27, right now, okay? And yesterday, there was a, uh, there was a gas explosion in Houston, Texas, a refinery that was pouring out chemicals and pollution into the atmosphere in uh, Deer Park, Texas, which is majority Latino. And she did a, a press conference in English and Spanish because she's an immigrant from Colombia, and she said people need to be, you know, check the air, stay inside, don't go to school. Dijo en español en inglés. And a county commissioner from Chambers County said, you're in America, you need to speak English. You shouldn't be giving uh, that in uh, Spanish. And the result was we led a campaign against him and he apologized to the county commissioner yesterday, okay? But those are the little fights that we have day in and day out. And it's gonna take us fighting and improving everything we do, for whether it's voter registration, Candidate uh, training, running people for office, raising money for those candidates, and making sure that we have the political willpower and las ganas. know, I used to know Willie Velasquez and work with him when I started in college. con ganas todo se puede. Con ganas todo se puede. So I encourage all of you that are here today to make an effort uh, to make sure that we run more candidates for office. Because I do believe that the first Latina or Latino, President of the United States has been elected. And I was there when Clinton took the oath of office. I was there when Barack Obama took the oath of office in Washington, D.C. And I want to be there when the first person whose last name might end with an E.Z. <clears throat> you know what E.Z. is? <laughs> Hernandez, Lopez, Sanchez, uh, Gutierrez. A Gutierrez, or maybe a Castro or a Garcia, or <laughs> will become the next President of the United States of America because that's our goal, and that should be your goal. And I always tell people, when you decide why you want to run for office, the only criteria that you should have is a metric. Did you do something to help Jose and Maria today? Did you improve the education of their children? Did you give them a higher wage, better health care? What did you do to help Jose and Maria? And if you did something to help Jose and Maria, te vietates, te tiro la chancla, you know, to get well. But if you didn't, then you're in the political office for the wrong reason. And that's what we need to hold the politicians accountable and move our community forward. Gracias. You didn't say Ernesto Ernesto Escobedo. <laughs> <Arnes Cabello>.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so my name is Lisa Escobedo, and I am the director of the National Census Program for the Naleo Educational Fund. Um, You guys talked a lot about census today and I wore my t-shirt, my colleagues were here today and I texted them and and told them why they didn't wear their t-shirt, so now I'm I'm singled out. Um, So I wanted to talk, as I thought about what to bring forward today and talk to folks about today, I really thought, okay, I can talk about what NALEO has done, what we've done for civic engagement work or I can share a little bit about my story and how that folds into Naleo's story and Naleo's mission. So I am a fellow millennial, um, and I know we always talk about, you know, millennials this, millennials that, and I hope that my story will give folks some courage that as millennials and as young folks, we gotta step up. Um, So I'll tell you a little bit about what I'm doing right now. So as the director of the National Census Program for the Naleo Educational Fund, I organize our entire national infrastructure for our campaign to ensure that Latinos and hard-to-count communities are counted. This means coordinating with with our LULAC partners, coordinating with our Voto Latino partners, with our media partners, and really pulling together strategies to ensure that everyone in our community is counted and is informed. Part of the battle that we have to fight is actually sitting down next to the director of the U.S. Census Bureau and really calling him out and saying, what are you doing about this citizenship question? How are you working with the Department of Commerce to make sure that uh, the, the secretary for the Department of Congress is testifying before Congress with, uh, with the questions that we have? So a lot of what I do is making sure that our voiceless communities have a voice. And it gives me great pride because I came from a little city uh, called Bell Gardens, California, in southeast LA. So every time I'm in that room and I'm fighting for communities like my parents, like my dad who only went up to the second grade in Mexico and can't read or write Spanish or English, I think about the fact that I'm speaking for him when I'm at that table. And I think about how all of these little policies and all of these little things and and fixes to the forms, et cetera, that the administration or that the government tries to do has a major impact in our communities. And that me as the voice for my community has to be absolutely vigilant in calling folks out the need to get called out. So part of the work that I do is looking at policy, looking at the operations for the Census Bureau and making sure that I'm asking the right questions about how are you going to count rural communities, how are you going to count farm worker communities, what does the non-response follow-up look like, and how do we keep our communities safe, especially under this administration and under this rhetoric. So I have the great opportunity to do that piece of work. The other piece of work that I get to do is really ensuring that we have all of the informational infrastructure that our community needs. So part of our census work is hosting a national information hotline. So we know that there are trusted voices in the community that our community members will seek out, one of those being organizations, nonprofit organizations like ours. Um, And so we set up a a complete uh, hotline infrastructure to make sure that happens. And I'll share that, interestingly, uh, most folks won't, won't get this from when I talk about the census because I'm absolutely obsessed with the census. Um, but I actually just uh, was rehired with an Aleo Educational Fund about nine weeks ago. Um, I was working for SEIU, the Service Employees International Union, working with home care workers across the country to make sure that they had dignity wages and dignity benefits. I got a call from, uh, from some of our directors, and they said, hey, you ran the census in 2010 for Naleo. Can you come back and run it in 2020? We need you. When I started learning more about the citizenship question and starting, started really seeing where it all kind of came from and how we needed to fight it, I left my job. And nine weeks ago, I started with Naleo. And so since then, we've been traveling across the country, We've been informing the communities. We actually have operations, uh, not just in California, but in Texas, in Florida. Um, We've been working with organizations in New Mexico. In New Mexico, you had an undercount of Latinos of over 52% in the 2010 census. So there is a major need to ensure that organizations, specifically Latino organizations, are ensuring that uh, Latinx communities are counted. Um, and I'll share, you know, and again, I'll take you kind of through my journey and I'll weave in how, uh, how some of the civic engagement work falls in there because I, I really do think that it's important to talk about what courage means and what it looks like. So before coming, uh, going back to the labor union where I was working at when I came back to Naleo, um, there was a lot of things that I was seeing in my own community. I started looking at my city council, I started uh, having conversations with folks about oil drilling and why there was a conversation about oil drilling in my community. And I started looking at the makeup of my city council and the fact that even though the city of Whittier is 70% Latino, no Latina has ever sat on its city council since the beginning of time for my city, right? And this is my city. This is where I've raised my daughter, who's back here playing on her phone. and so. After so many issues came up and after the fact that I started looking at the history of my city and the fact that our city council was actually sued under the Voting Rights Act because they had at-large elections instead of district elections, which uh, the courts determined that really disenfranchised Latino voters in our city, I started going around and telling folks, hey, someone should really do something about this. Like, this is nuts, it's 70% Latino, no Latinas on the city council, one Latino just the last election. What do we do? And so after many conversations, I decided to be the change that I wanted to see. So I decided to run for office. Thank you, (laughs) it was hard. (laughs) Um, In part of my run for office, I used much of what I had learned when working at Naleo previously, because I did work for Naleo in, in, uh, in my past life before coming back. One of the things that I learned from the Naleo Educational Fund was the importance of targeting low propensity Latino voters. These are voters that don't vote every single election. They might vote on a presidential election, probably not in a midterm, probably not in a municipal election. A lot of these folks are not lazy. Are apathetic it's just that when political campaigns look at who to target for their outreach they say where can we spend the least amount of money and that's in high propensity voters which tend not to be Latino right so what happens is that you have outreach in the community to non Latinos and a lot of folks who are frequent voters and vote every municipal election and might not look like us and might not have our same interest so for my campaign I decided to do a full shift I said, we're going to target every single low-propensity Latina voter, and we're going to target millennials. Everybody thought I was super crazy, and everyone's like, how much money are you going to raise? Because that's a lot of money. <laughs> and I truly believed in what I had learned at Naleo, that with invitation, our community was hungry and, was, and desired to be engaged. So as part of, of my city council race, and I actually took three months off of work and just solely dedicated myself to door knocking and kind of learning the ins and outs. We went from not having an absolute chance because this person had been in office for 12 years to being so close that I was getting attack mailers, right? That's how you know that someone's scared. So when we got those attack pieces, I started looking like, you know, someone's looking at these numbers and thinking this is, we're a major threat, right? When we started doing our own kind of side polling, we realized that indeed we were. And so when election day came around, you know, we, we all kind of gathered. And I was ready at you know, uh, 8 p.m. when the polls closed to say, OK, well, thanks, everyone. You know, I was ready with my, my speech. And, but it was tight on election day. We didn't get the final results of the entire election until five days later because it was that close. I lost by four votes, and but it was one of the best experiences that I that I've ever had. There was a lot of issues that we had. Yes, with the um, there's a lot of things that we need to to look at when it comes to voter protection. We look, we need to look very closely because sometimes we're our communities are being disenfranchised by small print you know, ballot design. Who's overseeing your elections locally? Is it the county? Is it the city? Who is the city contracting for your elections? Those are very important, that's very important fine print that we need to look at. And I had learned all of that by working at Naleo and really looking at how, our, how we can work with our communities to make sure they have the information to report these kinds of things. You know, so after a long, hard, uh, long fought battle, uh, we came very close. But what was most important is that we created a movement of very hungry young Latinos, young millennials. We mobilized the entire Whittier College. And I was able to also run as myself, right? I wear hoops, and I love them, and I'm not going to take them off for any campaign, right? So it was very, all of those things were very important lessons to teach our community. And so following my election, I decided to continue to engage my community and a lot of the young women. And my, my team was actually all young women under the age of 25. That was my campaign manager, everything. That's all we hired. And we started looking at where do we go from here, right? What kind of movement do we create? So when I went back to, uh, you know, to the union after I had lost my election, um, I started looking at where do I want to be at this moment in time? What is the legacy and the story that I want to tell my daughter about what I did when our, everything we believe in and the full count of our community is at stake? And I thought, as after I started looking at everything and I, and I started talking to Naleo, I thought this is the civil rights fight of our time. This is the opportunity we have to fight back and show that we're strong in numbers. Now, we have the potential of a citizenship question And it's being fought in the Supreme Court, and it it will be heard on April 23rd. You also have a really interesting interesting case in the state of Alabama, where the state is trying to push, or at least uh, uh, various plaintiffs are trying to push so that no person who's undocumented, undocumented is counted. We don't believe it'll have legs, but that's the rhetoric that we have right now. So I do believe wholeheartedly that the census enumeration and making sure that every Latino is counted is absolutely the fight for, our, for, for civil rights of our time. So before working my stint at the union, I was working at Naleo. I started off working on our citizenship work. Some of you may have heard of this, I think it was a really awesome campaign, called Yes, Sora, Ciudadanía. And I know I came out here, I remember traveling everywhere. Um, so what I did is that we looked at what are the elections that are coming up and where is their opportunity? So after we did much research, we realized that folks who had the highest propensity of voting were actually naturalized citizens. And we thought, who's tapping into the naturalized citizens to make sure that we got them on the pathway to voting? And we realized that we needed to energize the community and create this huge campaign um, so, in, in 2006, we saw the immigrant rights marches and right after that, we started talking. How do we use this energy to create a sense of urgency in our community? We realized that there was over 8 million legal permanent residents who were eligible to naturalize but haven't yet, hadn't yet started on the path to naturalization. So we launched that campaign and we naturalized over a million that year who voted the very next election in 2008. After, after that, I thought, okay, well, what's next? Where do we go from here? So we launched the Ve Vota campaign, and I stood on board with Naleo, and I was like, I'm ready, let's go. And we ran our um, national voter engagement program, which which, constitute, which is part of um, our low, uh, reaching our low propensity voters, so we had a get out the vote campaign, etc., working with various partners. What we saw is that those folks that we touched, that we called, that we had some interaction with, had a higher propensity to vote than those folks that we had. Right now, one of the things that we're looking at is, how does our contact have an influence on other civic engagement work? So how does it influence them participating in the census? How does it influence them participating in a municipal or in a congressional election? So after running the various GOTV campaigns, we did a lot of our voter protection work. So our voter protection work consists of Spanish language, uh, Spanish-speaking Latinos having access to a hotline where they can report discrepancies. As a result of some of the discrepancies we saw there, there was lawsuits against, uh, actually, against the Riverside County, which is right next door, um, and some other counties and some other localities where we saw that either there was there wasn't proper poll worker training, or folks were just being turned away and asked, you know, for a specific ID that in California you're not. you're not required to have ID, right? Which constitutes the uh, poor poll worker training. So a lot of the work that we've done as NALEO really has been what I believe that my mission has been in life, um, which is making sure that as Latinos, we have a voice. Because for so long, we're in communities where um, chromium plants are placed in our backyard because nobody's gonna say anything about it. For so long, we've had sometimes municipal governments um, and folks who who didn't hear us all the time. And as part of NALEO, the other piece that we have is we also train our Latino elected officials who get who get elected into office, who might be someone like me who's never been in office but wants to do right by the community. We have education institutes, we have workforce policy institutes. And so part of the mission of NALEO is to engage the Latino community from uh, citizenship to public service. So we wanna make sure that as Latinos get elected, that they have all the tools at their disposal to make the right decisions for our communities and to do, and to do right by us. And so I really do think that civic engagement and really us being the ones who shape the playing field is our fight. And it doesn't matter you know, how young or how old you may be, This is all of our fight, because it's the future. It's our future, and it's the future of my nine-year-old who's back here. So thank you all for having me today.